Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a mixtape just around the corner Did a lot in California Can't wait to drop this Don't you? Yeah, they gon' have fun with that Smash like Hello and welcome back to the podcast That is always up to speed with Formula One Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton here To discuss all the latest news and goings on in Formula One Hammy, how's it going? You're looking very, very intense On the other side of the uh, the, the studio here, my friend uh, What's up? <laughs> it's It's... Things things personally are well, but you know sometimes <laughs> when we when we glance around globally, there's a there's a lot of really negative things happening. So I think oh, right sure. off yeah. right off the top, I think our hearts obviously go out to everybody in Atlantic Canada that was impacted by a massive storm a few days ago. Um, our hearts go out to everybody in Florida as we record. Yeah, I think that speak. storm is descending on that state um, and everything, obviously everything that's continuing to happen in, in Ukraine. And of course, um, I'm as particularly close to the situation because my wife is from Iran um, and has been a big proponent and, and a big supporter of the protests that are happening in that country, demanding better human rights and, and better equality for, for women. Um, yeah, a lot going on around the world. So if I look a little intense off the top, I think I got a lot weighing on my mind right now. But mm-hmm. all of that said, we come into the Scuderia F1 podcast studios every Wednesday or every Thursday night, and we focus on something positive so that all of our listeners, all of our listeners can kind of tune in and, and have fun and detach from from the craziness that is everything that's going on in the world around us. Yeah, hundred percent. It's not to say that uh, we we kind of disregard the all the the things that are happening, both good and bad, around the world. But this is just a, a nice uh, little distraction for an hour or so uh, every week, just to exactly. just like I say, focus exactly. on something different and and just decompress. Although Formula One can sometimes drive us a, a bit bonkers as well. But just talking about Hurricane Ian, and this is not something that's necessarily new. I've seen this uh, before, but uh, Noah was at the National Oceanographic and something or other down in the states. What they do, they do. Uh, they fly these P3 Orions, I think they are, into like these massive hurricanes and then they launch all these weather probes and things like that. And I, I've seen it before. What they do is they put the aircraft on autopilot and as they get buffeted around and all the high winds and things like that, the plane more or less kind of takes care of itself. And I saw some video footage of this uh, this one plane, that uh, this NOAA plane going into basically the, the eye of Hurricane Ian. And the, the, the crew members on it is just like, we've never seen anything like this before. I mean, there's stuff flying all in around inside the aircraft. I'm like, yeah. No, please. If uh, that phone call, like anybody ever wants to make that phone call, say, like, "Hey, you want to come along?" That's 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 the hardest of hardest passes. I mean, that that's a full stop. No, that's a non-starter. But uh, massive respect uh, for for people that do that because that looks to be like a little bit of a, a scary job. So. 
Anyways, before we get into it, first of all, going to give a shout out to JT the Human, the very, very talented artist who uh, provided and uh, our our like our opening music here. You can find his uh, everything he's got on uh, iTunes, Apple Music, or whatever they call it now. I always forget, but uh, love our opener and love that. And also big shout out to Micah, DJ Vinyl Richie on Twitter, who helped uh, hook us up with JT. So there's... Uh, Never get tired of that. And then also you wanted to give a shout out to the race weekend and Magnus, our good friend, who creates the most beautiful of Formula One publications. And I'm still blown away that that's done locally here in Vancouver. Like, I'm, well, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised. I mean, there's many creative and fantastic people in Vancouver, but I'm I'm just so proud that uh, they would call Magnus a friend of the show and, and just the, the work that those guys do because it's absolutely incredible. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I don't think I really need to continue trying to sell our audience on this publication. I feel like I've been doing that now for about a year because I think it was probably about a year ago that you and I began our journey, our relationship and our friendship with with Magnus. But uh, obviously, we've spoke incredibly highly of this publication for the better part of the last year. And if it's something you're interested in, or if you're looking for a gift, a holiday gift, because the holidays are fast approaching, if you're looking for a really cool gift for that Formula One fan in your life, now would be the perfect time to subscribe. And if you do and use the Scuderia Pod promo code, you will save 10% at checkout. And like I said, we don't typically come on the show and promote Formula One products and content unless it's something we believe in. And this is a really great one. And if you do subscribe now, um, you have plenty of time to get that first issue. um, So it's ready to be gifted to that special somebody come the holiday season. Yeah, theraceweekend.com sells itself. We don't have to say anything more because we'd probably do a terrible job and probably <laughs> not help Magnus the way that we intend to. Anyways, before we get into the meat of the show, let's just uh, quickly go down the Drivers and Constru- uh, Constructors Championship. It's, it's late here. It's already almost 10 p.m. Pacific here. So uh, it's it's way too late to caffeinate at this time of the evening. So if I stumble a little, little bit, uh, I shall, I'll forgive myself at least. Anyways, we'll just uh, run down the Drivers and Constructors Championships in advance of the uh, Singapore Grand Prix, which is coming up this weekend. Really excited for that. First one since 2019. My goodness, how time flies. Um, The uh, Formula One Drivers Championship, Max Verstappen leading the way at 335 points, ahead of Charles Leclerc from Ferrari with 219. Sergio Perez, the second Red Bull driver, 210 points. George Russell from Mercedes, 203. And Carlos Sainz from Ferrari, 187 points on the constructors' side. If Max and Sergio are one in three in the drivers, it's no surprise that Red Bull is at the top of the constructors and they have a very impressive 545 points. Ferrari second with 406. Mercedes with a very respectable 371. Alpine is fourth in the constructors with 125. And McLaren Mercedes, the last team in the constructors to currently be racking up three digits point totals in the constructors championships and they have 107 so you're studiously examining your screen and there's only a slight look of fear which (laughs) kind of makes me wonder that you're trying to load the f1 fantasy league standings and it's either it's good to go and my friend we're not going to do that update today i feel like (laughs) i've probably done the fantasy update three or four times now since we've had a grand prix so we all know who's in the top 10 and if you're not you still have time to make some movement just make sure you lock in your lineup for this coming weekend but i'm not going to read the f1 fantasy standings until we get through the uh the singapore grand prix yeah 
Well, you know, it's funny because, I mean, last weekend, well, last couple of weekends, we didn't have a race. And we were sitting here this time last week. Oh, boy, you know, it really seems like it's been a long time <laughs> since there was a race, to which you know, many of our community members and fellow F1 fans kindly reminded us, yo, guys, this is the, the time of year that the, the now canceled Russian Grand Prix was supposed to be be going on. So no wonder it seemed longer than usual is because there was, uh, you know, they, they were canceled. So Daily, it's remarkable how, how soon that the two they of forget. us. Or the we two forget. of us could sit here and not think twice about the fact that is it that odd? There's a three week or three week break in September. Okay, <laughs> I just I just accepted it rather than processing that. No, of course you're right. This is when the Russian Grand Prix would have been, and of course it was absolutely and appropriately canceled probably six months ago now. But yeah, it oh, never yeah. dawned on me that that's ago. why we were sitting through this long three week break. So shame on both of us, and uh, props to everybody. And it was probably a hundred of you that reached out shortly after that <laughs> podcast dropped. Last Friday to remind us of exactly why we had a three-week break. In my defense, I don't even remember what I had for lunch this afternoon. So, you know, trying to go back like, like a week or six months, it's just... It's just not going to a good place that makes me look good. Not that I look good in the the, the best of times, but uh, there you go. Hey, so um, we're going to delve into the mailbag now, and you've got an email from Marshall that you, you want to share, who he doesn't want to contradict us, but you know, we, we talked about beforehand, and uh, he raised some really, really good points that, uh, you know, based on a topic we were discussing either last week or the week before, just about uh, the FIA, who they are, what they do. And it was really well thought out, very uh, well written, so we thought we'd share it with everyone and um, so now time to put your reading glasses on, my friend. Oh, you're, 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 you're holding the finger up at no, me. So I'm that means good. either wait or you're good. good. Okay. I'm good. I, I, the, the reason I was grimacing <laughs> a couple of minutes ago is as I get increasingly older, the fonts mm -hmm. on my computer screen get progressively larger. So I was trying to figure oh, out see. how to make this email appear a little bit bigger so I could do it the justice it deserves. So Marshall, obviously a longtime listener and a big supporter of our show, is regularly in our Spaces chats. We talked to him tonight, and he does a really great job sometimes of counterbalancing some of my, uh, I would say, poorly founded opinions. But I <laughs> want to read this email to you because he makes some absolutely terrific points. And it's a really great perspective that helps to balance out some of my uh, more hot takes that I would say that I've had over the last few weeks and months about the FIA being little more than a quote unquote contractor. So I'll read it now. Mm -hmm. And I quote, Hey, Mark and Mark, as always, I enjoy the show greatly. And I just want to commend you guys for the great job that you do taking a nuanced and impartial view of the goings on in F1 week to week. You both do an excellent job of cutting through the nonsense and telling it like it is and in an end in engaging fans in a resolutely positive and inclusive way that invites fans new and old like me to take part in the conversation. You guys have the best F1 podcast out there and it isn't even close. I wanted to try and give a little bit of a counter perspective if I could of the FIA versus F1 issues that I think could be a little bit more nuanced. And he writes, I think it is a bit unfair to see the FIA as merely a contractor to F1, as you said on the last podcast. As the world governing body for all of motorsports, they are responsible for administering and managing all levels of motorsport from the top down to the grassroots. 
F1 sits on a pinnacle that is built on the foundations of the weekend racers, the aspiring professionals, and the thousands of volunteers that give up their time in local regions to make all kinds of motorsports happen, of which, full disclosure, I am one. Without the FIA, its component national ASNs, and its army of volunteers to run an event, F1 simply cannot operate in the way it does and certainly would not be near as profitable. F1 is not bearing the brunt of the cost for FIA-led innovations such as safer barriers, Tech Pro, the Halo, the Hans device, which have made the sport safer at all levels, but it has benefited from them greatly. The FIA and F1 are distinct, but codependent organizations that exist as a check on each other in balancing the commercial demands with the sporting and safety aspects of a sport that is much larger than just F1. But in the necessary push and pull, this can sometimes give way to conflict as their goals may not and should not always be aligned. The FIA may rubber stamp the schedule, but not all things. They're more than just a contractor. They're equal partners. I think this separation is sometimes not appreciated or understood by fans and the media when things go wrong. There's a tendency to, for whatever reason, blame the governing body exclusively for decisions that may have been made in tandem with or even at the request of Formula One for commercial reasons. And that F1 is just fine with that confusion because it keeps the heat off of them Directly, For example, Andreas Seidel let it slip that the FIA and F1 tried to change the safety car rules to avoid the reoccurrence of races like AD, but the teams blocked it. So the FIA getting flack for the way Monza ended under safety car, according to the rules as they exist, is unfair since they did try and change it. Likewise, the controversy over super license points denying Herda his earned F1 shot is due to a system that was developed at the request of and in consultation with Formula One to strengthen the position of the F2, F3 ladder series that F1 itself owns. While F1 at CEO Stefano Domenicali did an interview resolutely defending the super license rules, citing all the same points as the FIA, it barely registers as a blip. And it is again, the FIA taking all of the blame for quote unquote, their system. I get the feeling that the FIA is pushing back a little bit on this tendency for F1 to push or at least passively allow blame to fall in their direction, especially when the FIA is an organization of thousands of volunteers who have nothing to do with the decisions, the highest levels of, of F1 who are having their work indirectly discredited. And he almost wraps up here. So we're just about done. While you can say some of this comes with the territory of being the referee, I think that is also somewhat fair. Your comparison to NBA refs was off because NBA refs aren't being blamed by anyone for the rules themselves or commercial decisions of the commissioner. And if they were, I think that the NBA would step into their defense and say, no, this was our decision. I have pride in the FIA patch I wear in the uniform when volunteering because I know the hours that thousands of people have put in to be part of the sport, from the local weekend auto uh, slalom or time stage rally to the very pinnacle of motorsports. F1 is the top of the pyramid, but still part of, and without being a part of the FIA, they lose that status. Thanks again for all you do with the podcast and keep up the awesome work, Marshall. P.S. Loving, loving the F1 book club. Can't wait for more. Marshall, thank you so much for that fantastic email. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I love it when uh, when people take the time to, to to write in like that. And, you know, I, I don't mind anybody taking a cron- contrary view to us because, I mean, we have our own points of view and our, our own takes, right? The, 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 where, where I don't like is, oh, you guys suck because reasons and then kind of like that. But so, yeah, you know, massive props to uh, to, to Marshall for that great email. And there, there's a lot to unpack in, in what he brings up, and which I think are all really, really good points because... You know, if you really want to sort of split 
uh, you know, the things even finer. You, you've got the FIA, you've got Formula One, then you've got the commercial rights holder in Liberty uh, Media. So there, there's a lot of different entities uh, at play. And I, I think that, you know, he was right in bringing up the whole thing about the safety car that we saw after Monza. And that, that is true that, you know, that, they, that, that the teams basically stepped in and said, no, we don't want to change the, the, the safety car rules when the FIA themselves were, were pushing for it. And it's a little bit uh, ironic. I mean, especially after all the, you know, outrage and all the fury after Abu Dhabi last year that it just seemed like it was the the one obvious thing that needs to be you know dealt with uh, ASAP and uh, obviously Monza didn't have quite the same outcome and consequences as Abu Dhabi did in 21 it just kind of left everybody with a bit of a sour taste in their mouth and it is funny though the way that uh, that that people do react and and point fingers and they like to sometimes really put the blame on governing bodies or officials and things like that you know it, it is interesting that it's 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 not necessarily unique to any one sport but i i think maybe in in motorsport it's a little bit more more obvious because it just seems well there there's only one person you can or one body you can blame right and that's uh, that that's the FIA and <laughs> You know, it's it's funny that he should also bring up that whole super license points because it's it's just so ironic that the 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 fact that you know this whole super license thing has sort of come up the last little while and how it's it's so overlooked. Like he says that Formula Two and Formula Three are all properties owned by Formula One. How they have this almost this monopoly on how you know they sort of funnel drivers into the sport and it's like almost it's, it's very deliberate in the fact that yeah okay you can be a one or a two-time or a three-time IndyCar champion or not or maybe you're a young hot prospect in IndyCar or wherever but you're not coming through our officially sanctioned funnel so we're just going to make it that extra difficult for you to accumulate those points so i don't know you need to jump in here now because i feel like you know there, there's so many points that marshall touched on that i'm starting to ramble now so no, this, you're, this you're, is you're not me. rambling at all i think <laughs> i totally agree with your point and a couple of the things that resonated with me when i was reading this was one obviously just reinforcing that very very tight relationship between formula one and the feeder series mm -hmm. formula two and formula three that obviously formula one is financially incented to drive their development drive their development prospects through their own ladder system and that's just reinforced through the super license program which as yep. as marshall states was itself co-developed at the request of f1 and its teams mm -hmm. but i think one of the comments that he he made here was that in the weeks kind of surrounding the whole court Colton Herta pandemonium, which was, should there be an exception? Again, we were all looking at how super license points were awarded. And this was just broadly a part of the, the greater F1 conversation for probably a solid month there was the fact that the FIA was taking all of the heat that ultimately that the super license program was developed by the FIA and it was implemented by the FIA and the FIA were to blame. And obviously I wasn't particularly satisfied with the comments of the FIA president as it related to that program, but he makes mm -hmm. a really great point. Marshall makes a really great point that CEO Stefano Domenicali also spoke firmly in favor of the current FIA super license program. And that didn't register 
anywhere in terms of the news cycle. It didn't register anywhere. Saleem's message resonated everywhere and was picked up by every F1 publication. But Stefano Domenicali also commented and indicated that there was no appetite to make a change and that the current rule set was going to be enforced, but that didn't get picked up anywhere. And I think it was because it wasn't convenient to the grade of narrative that now has mm-hmm. the FIA effectively a punching bag. And to be fair, the FIA has done and members of the FIA have said some things that have made it easier or an easier target. But at the same time, I just I feel like there are moments where the media and myself included, because I saw that Stefano Domenicali comment supporting the super license construct in its current formation. And I don't recall talking about that on the air, but I sure as heck certainly refer to uh, Ben Saleem, Mohammed Ben Saleem's comments about the FIA super license program. So I, I, I think yeah. I'm guilty of it. I think collectively we're probably guilty of it. And I think part of it too is we just don't have as great an appreciation for what the FIA does globally across all mm-hmm. disciplines of motorsport as maybe we should. Oh, because 100%. we sit yep. here in North America and we are surrounded by NASCAR and we're surrounded by Indy. And the FIA has obviously very little to do with those two preeminent motorsport disciplines in North America. But if we if we leave North America, well, almost every every motorsport series that you're going to come across is interwoven with the FIA in some way. It's just it's kind of an anomaly in North America where they're not as closely as closely integrated. But but yeah, I think this is a great email. And like I said, I love when people challenge us in a respectful way because I feel mm-hmm. like I'm better educated and I think our audience is probably better educated now having read this email. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I do have a couple of points. I just want to pick up on the yeah, uh, it, uh, on that go email. So let's uh, let's just uh, it, this is going to take a couple of minutes. So let's uh, just uh, jump quickly into a break. We'll come back, uh, discuss Marshall's email a little bit further, and then we'll dive into the news for the week. So guys, uh, don't go away. We'll be back on the flip side in just a moment. So time to go top up your drinks, put on those nice comfy jammies or slippers or what, however you enjoy the do- show. Go and do that. No, we'll be back in just a moment. Passion drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. 
All right, welcome back. Mark and Mark here breaking down, well, about to break down all the latest news from Formula One, but we're just talking about uh, a listener email from Marshall in the previous segment. And there's a couple of things that just sort of jumped to mind as you were discussing some of the points that uh, Marshall raised. Number one, I find it very interesting how Ben Suleim's uh, comments really echoed, really kind of struck a chord. And I, I mean... It's not unusual for the FIA president to say something that really gets uh, picked up. But for some reason, that the comments that he made, that several comments that he's made in the last uh, week or two, have really seemed to have struck a nerve or really sort of reverberated more than uh, maybe other comments uh, in, in recent times, that is. And I'm, I'm not particularly sure why that is. Uh, I, I don't really know a lot about uh Ben Suleim, but uh, I, I, thought, I thought it was a bit of an interesting phenomena. The the other thing too, just going back to the super license points, and I think this is kind of interesting because we we're talking about a little bit about this sort of like Formula One monopoly on the feeder series in F2 and F3. I mean, if you go and look at it, it's obvious all the branding is very similar from the logos and it's got a very F1 feel to it. So, I mean, that's the way they want to funnel the drivers into the sport. F1 basically had, uh, you know, the final say on how the super license points are accumulated, how drivers can get into Formula one. But what I find really, really interesting is the whole Colton Herta saga, right? So here's this, uh, you know, hot, young, talented, um, you know, just coincidentally, uh, American driver who's being linked with Formula One is just a little bit on the lean side of not having enough points to to get a super license. And, you know, he's been linked with uh, with uh, Alpha Tauri, which is obviously part of the Red Bull family. Red Bull, of course, have uh, two teams. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're in two different uh, locations. So you have the big team and what we call the junior team in Alpha Tauri. But what I find interesting is Red Bull are touted to have this really phenomenal, you know, driver development academy. And over the past several years, they've struggled to, to get guys into their cars that have the requisite number of super license points. Now, so they're they're looking to potentially bring a guy like Colton into Formula One. He doesn't quite have the the amount of points that uh, that he needs, but yet they well. I know he said that he doesn't want the rules to be bent for him to to be a special exception. And, you know, you, you can understand why. But I just uh, am I the only one that kind of sees the irony in one of the big players who owns two teams in Formula One, who has this, you know, pumps, you know, a vast fortune into their driver academy, can't develop enough uh, drivers with super license points and now looking to go beyond the, you know, like the, the Formula One development funnel and finds a driver that they like that would be you know, a good fit for their, their you know, one of their teams but they can't get in because they're kind of like hamstrung by the rules that they had a hand in developing. So I, I don't know, maybe it's ju just me, but I do see a bit of irony there. So anyways, I'm just going to put it out there. But uh, yeah, I, I think time to move on. Uh, Marshall, again, thank you for, for the great email. Thank you for the, the work that you do as, as a track marshal. And, uh, you know, it, it's people like him that, uh, that that make motor racing what it is. And uh, it's, it's people that get involved at the grassroots that make racing what it is it uh, doesn't matter if it's formula one or down at your local racetrack on a weekend it's a, it's it's the the grassroots and the, the the people that are on boots on the ground that make it all all happen okay so it's sort of uh i don't know what to make of this one man this uh, this next story that formula one has uh, extended the sprint calendar sprint races next year from three to six races 
you know, we, we've talked about it. I mean, when these were premiered last year in 2021, and even before that, we were kind of excited about it. I think our enthusiasm really cooled once we saw them in action last year and to a certain extent this year. Now I'm kind of the point is like, oh man, like I, I think I would have been good with three for next year. I did really want to see it extended to six because it hasn't really lived up to what we hoped it would be. And for... I don't know. I, I don't really feel the urge or the obligation to go and sit down and watch the sprint race. I, I just it just it just hasn't done it for me yet, Mark. So I, I don't know what you're gonna say, but I, I have the feeling that you're you're probably it, you know, having a, a similar reaction to this news as I am. Very, very much. And I, I just going back to twenty twenty one, if man, is this the second full championship? Yeah, we've we've been doing this. Oh my goodness, I just realized we're about to yep. hit our second. We're just weeks away from our two-year anniversary doing the show together. But I specifically yep, exactly. recall in 2021, I was especially excited about this concept of a sprint. And I didn't like the way that qualifying was configured during the race weekend. I didn't I didn't relish the way that points were being distributed. And obviously they, the, the teams, the FIA formula one, they listened to some of the feedback and they reconfigured the sprints for 2022. Although of course it was controversial because we were expecting six and the FIA got a lot of blowback because there was a perception or it was reported that they were demanding more money. And because of that, we only ended up with three instead of six this year. I don't know, man, like we're now two years into this experience. And for me, it's just not clicking. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's the way I should put it. And I saw a story earlier this week from RaceFans.com, and their headline was something to the effect of "F1 to hold 30 races in 2023 as six sprint events are confirmed," or something to that effect. I was just like, "Yeah, like we're going into a championship next year that has 24 races on the calendar, the maximum allowable by the Concord Agreement." And with all due respect, I know that F1 isn't particularly demanding of its fans. It's not like the NBA, which has 82 games, or baseball that has 162. It's pretty low maintenance in terms of what it demands of its viewers. But 24 races, and on average now, a race every two weeks over a 12-month calendar is asking a lot from people that are conditioned to a 16, 17, 18 race calendar. If you look at the last 20 or 30 years of the sport, 24 races is a lot already. And for me, I want to like the sprints and I like the way it's configured this year more than I like what we saw in 2021, but I'm not particularly excited about this. If it was somehow meaningfully impactful to the championship, maybe, but we're going to see 24 races next year. And to me, that's enough. And I spoke for so long about the fact that this is this is a lot less about creating competitive characteristics or embedding incremental competitive characteristics within a championship and more just about offering up. And I get it. Like ultimately, Liberty's responsibility is to deliver value to its shareholders by increasing the value of the product and getting more eyeballs on the product. And the sprint re- sprint race weekends, in theory, should be able to extract more money out of race organizers. And it should be able to get more money out of the TV networks because you have an extra event over the course of a three-day weekend. But for me, it just doesn't click yet. And when we've been going into the sprint weekends this year, it's kind of been a chore, to be totally honest, man. It's kind of been a chore that I kind of like the three-day race weekend that we have. We've got a couple of practice sessions. Saturday, we've got a practice session. We have qualifying and we have the race. That's great. The sprint just hasn't clicked with me yet. 
not in a meaningful way. And I'm not saying you need to scrap it, but I'm not particularly excited about going into a 24, 24 race calendar with six sprints. Like, and just speaking as an adult, I've got a full-time job. I've got a family. I don't have, <laughs> like, I have far less time than you do because you've got a much bigger family than me. I feel But you. it just, yep. it doesn't click and I'm not super excited and it feels like it might be a bit of a chore. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, too, if you read some of the comments from Formula One President and CEO Stefano Domenicali and the FIA President Mohamed Ben Suleim, I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between what, you know, their point of view is and, you know, what's going out here in, like, the fanosphere, if that's a, that's a word. If it isn't, I guess we just coined another term here on the show. It was Domenicali had said, quote, I am pleased that we confirmed six sprints will be part of the championship for 2023 onwards. Building on the success of the new format introduced for the first time in 2021, the sprint provides action across three days with the drivers all fighting for something right from the start on Friday through the main event on Sunday, adding more drama and excitement to the weekend. The feedback from the fans, teams, promoters and partners has been very positive and the format is adding new dimension to Formula One and we all want to ensure its success in the future, end quote. Uh, whereas Ben Suleim had to say, quote, the confirmation that the six race weekends featuring sprint will take place from the 2020. FA Formula One World Championship season onwards, and it's another example of the continued growth and prosperity at the highest level of motorsport. End quote. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't uh, disregard, you know, I, I don't disagree with uh, either of those quotes. Uh, you know, I think they're both uh, accurate from, from, from their point of view, but like you say, it just hasn't really it's just not quite doing it to, for, for, for me yet. And maybe this year is a bit of a, a bad example to, to, to look at because the championship isn't the, the gap between the, 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 you know, the, 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 like the, the, the competitors at the top, I mean, between Max and Charles, it's not tight. Like it was between Lewis and Max last year. Right. I mean, there, there's daylight between Max Verstappen and, and Charles Leclerc. So these points that, uh, that, that they're accumulating in the sprint races aren't really doing a lot to, to, to really influence the championship one way or another. I mean, if Charles, scores the max eight points and max doesn't score any at the next sprint race this year like who cares it makes no no real difference in the overall championship itself so you know like i say or or like you said pardon me i i don't want to like throw it away i just don't think that the ultimate like the the perfect the the perfect scenario has really been 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 found yet you know i i think it's uh interesting i think it adds a certain novelty to, to the to the weekend but boy like you said it really introduces a level of uh, commitment because i mean if you just take the uh like the you, you have 24 races so that's 24 grand prix that you have to watch plus the qualifying sessions that's 48 that's a great point and, you know for for for, for the diehards that uh, go in there and watch all the free practice sessions i mean you know, by, by the time it's all said and done, you could be committing up to somewhere close to 100 sessions over the course of an entire season. I mean, that that's a lot of time, you know, I mean, especially for, for, for those of us that uh, just do this for, for, for fun. You know, we're, we're not getting paid. We're not paid media. I mean, just even from a fan point of view, that's that's a big time commitment that not very many people have. Anyhow, it is what it is. Okay, the next story is that uh, Mercedes and Petronas are going to extend their partnership into uh, new sustainable fuels in this uh, new era of uh, Formula One. So they are going to be uh, working with uh, Mercedes, Petronas that is, uh, to 2026 and beyond. They've been with uh, partners with uh, Mercedes uh, since uh, 2010, so well over a dozen years. And uh, that is just uh, really, uh, you know, a real, I think, 
testament to to show the the strength and the uh, the the quality of the partnership that they have. And you need, I, I think, good partners like that. I mean, especially where we're going into this new era, new power units, sustainable hybrid f- exotic fuels, and things like that. I think it's going to be a very very exciting new era of uh, Formula One. I mean, th- these uh, V six turbo hybrid engines that we've had, one point five liter turbo hybrid engines that we've had since uh, twenty fourteen are technological marvels in themselves. So it's going to be really exciting to see where they take this technology, both uh, you know in the form of the power unit itself and what goes into powering this power unit. Uh, I think it's a, a very, very exciting new era that we're going to embark on very, very shortly. I preface everything I'm about to say by acknowledging and recognizing that Petronas is itself a massive oil and gas company, but they have been sure, closely closely intertwined with Mercedes really since they entered the grid. Remember back in 2008, it was Honda, 2009, it was Braun, and then Mercedes bought them to be their works team for 2010. And Patronus has been their title sponsor for this entire period. So it would be really strange to see a different brand or to see Patronus removed from the car. Uh, I'm just reading this as well because I thought this might be interesting, but Patronus is a, I'm going to read this, quoting from Wikipedia here, Patronus is a Malaysian oil and gas company established in 1974 and wholly owned by the government of Malaysia. The corporation is vested with all oil and gas resources in Malaysia and entrusted with the responsibility of developing and adding value to these resources. In the 2017 Forbes Global 2000, Petronas Gas was ranked at 180. 1,881st. Patronus also ranked 48th globally in the 2020 Bentley Infrastructure 500. I have no idea what any of that means. But to take it away, Patronus at the end of the day is a major global oil and gas producer that is wholly owned by the the government of of Malaysia. And they've been tightly knit with obviously Mercedes for this entire time. And I think sometimes I think there's this apprehension or anxiety about major global energy producers because of mm-hmm. sometimes their, their lack of commitment to exploring renewables and exploring a green future. But I think if Petronas is is going to renew its partnership with Mercedes and Mercedes is a Formula One team and Formula One has a commitment to different types of renewable energies and and kind of limiting its carbon impact. Like I think it's a good thing because it forces this major oil and gas company. And I don't know enough about them to understand what their commitment is to renewables and green energy and things like that. But I think it's 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 a good thing that ultimately this company is partnering with Mercedes and Mercedes as part of F1 is being forced down this path of becoming more environmentally conscious by reconfiguring the way that the cars operate in this global crime, climate change crisis. Well, you know what? I, I can prove for a fact now that Total Wolf listens to this show, Hammy, because he's heard your comments. Not only has he heard your comments, he's doubling down on those because you know he's heard what you said, how the tightly knit Patronus and Mercedes AMG Formula One are. And this is what Toto had to say, quote, today we are doing something a little bit unusual, announcing a partnership that will begin in four years time. This sends an important message. Our team and Patronus are no longer just partners. We are family and we will be one team for many more years to come. From 2026, advanced sustainable fuel will be at the heart of F1 performance. And this gives us a fantastic opportunity to demonstrate our expertise in this domain. 
through both the power unit and the Patronus Fluid Technology Solutions. We are excited to be racing into the future alongside Patronus with the ambition to set the standard once again in our on-track performance and by pioneering the transition of a global sports team to a net zero future, end quote. So there you go. They're not just partners, bro. They're a family. But, uh, you know, joking aside, it, uh, yeah, I, I mean, to have a, you know, a, a big oil and gas producer like that uh, committed to, um, you know, uh, developing sustainable uh, fuels for the, the Formula One program, I think, is uh, important. And, you know, we sometimes uh, say we don't see enough trickle-down technology from, from Formula One. Make it into into the vehicle that I drive and you car or drive and everybody else that's listening to this. So hopefully these uh, new hybrid sustainable fuels are, you know, pun intended, a, a trickle-down technology that we'll see hit the roads uh, in the not-too-distant uh, future. Okay, moving along and sticking with a sort of a related topic, uh, Ross Braun, who has been in Formula One for many, many, many years. Of course, uh, you just mentioned uh, Braun GP. That was uh, his team after he bought out Honda at the end of 2008, which was basically the the sowed the seeds of what has become the juggernaut I was of uh, where Mercedes. Where you were going with that? <laughs> <laughs> it's clever, right? Uh, or you know. Uh, is slightly stumbling however I'm doing it. Anyways, uh, Braun is now 67 and he said he's uh, planning to take a significant step back from Formula One after the end of this uh, season. So he began working for motorsport way back in 1976 for March Engineering. Pardon me, Engineering. That's another big word for tired mouths and eyes at this time of night. Joined Williams uh, a couple of years later. He worked uh, with Benetton, Ferrari, of course, his own team and Mercedes for a couple of years. And uh, he's he's been around the sport for a long, long time. He's been, what was his his title? The Managing Director of Motorsports? Something like that. Very Something very yeah, grand to Formula One. Yeah, so he had a, a a brief retirement from about 2014 to 2016, and then uh, was uh, tempted, lured, drawn back in uh, about five years ago. And uh, he's been one of the, the the people, the figures really involved in this uh, new era of uh, Formula One. And uh, he's a guy that's really had uh, a really influenced the sport in many, many w- different ways in many different uh, roles. And uh, he said, just said uh, I, he wants to cut back and uh, he'll be still uh, making his expertise available, but uh, he won't be responsible for everyday tasks and, and jobs and things like that. So I dare say he's earned it. And uh, like I say, I mean, he's uh, had a massive influence in this sport over many, many decades. A very, very impressive career. Absolutely. One of my very favorite people in the entire world of Formula One. You look at his track record. He was with Benetton from 91 to 96. And I think people forget that yep. he was the technical director there when they won a couple of championships with with Michael Schumacher in 94, 95. And then he transitioned to Ferrari uh, shortly after Michael Schumacher did. And of course, from 97 to 2006, they won, I think, another five championships together. And yep. he took a one-year sabbatical. Correct. And then there was this huge rumor at the time that he was actually being courted to Red Bull and that he was going to be part of a package that helped entice Fernando Alonso to go to Red Bull. But ultimately, he pivoted and he went to Honda as the team principal. And of course, he was only there for a year. He had to turn around a big organization. And by the time he felt like he had a quote-unquote race-winning car Honda backed out of the sport, and it was ultimately Ross Braun that helped broker that partnership between his now personal team, Braun GP, and Mercedes to create that race winning, that championship 
Braun GP car in 2009, which of course became the Mercedes works team. And of course, he's been involved in so many different threads and so many different levels of Formula One in the past three or four decades that I think it would be hard to imagine the sport without him. So if he wants to take a little bit of time and he wants to step away from the sport and he wants to focus on his family and his personal well-being, that's fantastic because I often forget that he is 67 years old, but he's an incredibly interesting guy. And I hope every Every day that eventually Netflix does a 10-part series on Braun GP. I want to know, and I want that series to start from the moment that he gets that call from Honda to drive down from the factory in Milton Keynes to Slough, where the Honda F1 team is told, well, he is effectively told that Honda's pulling out. And from that moment on, he's got to desperately race to find an owner to buy that team to keep it in F1 ultimately is unsuccessful in doing so effectively buys the team itself and then helps drive them towards a world championship in 2009. To me, that would be a fascinating 10 part series or a movie. I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but some of my favorite moments in F1 intersect with uh, parts of his career. Yeah, absolutely. As uh, Rocky in the live chat on YouTube says, uh, the kids would call him the OG, and I think he's absolutely correct in that take. And, you know, funny, you should uh, make the Netflix comment, I've been watching The Last Dance again. So it'd be amazing if they could do something like that. I mean, they probably don't have the footage, but, you know, if they did, could they get Rodman involved? I feel like, you know, Rodman would add, you know, I'm I'm just rambling. (laughs) (laughs) I'm taking the show off the rails here. So let's take another break. And when we come back, since the show's already gotten a little silly, why don't we dive into silly scenes? and pick up on some of the rumors that we were talking about last week. And we'll do that in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, welcome back to the show and time to talk about Silly Season or the 2023 driver market. Still a couple of teams still with seats up to uh, up for grabs uh, next year. One of them is Alpine, the other is Haas, and the other one is Williams. So not really any one of your number one front runners, but uh, Alpine could be a bit of a, a dark horse if they ever get the, their act together. So Esteban Alcon is com- uh, confirmed at Alpine for 2023. So the odds on favorite to, to, to go there still Pierre Gasly the outsiders which I think we talked about uh, last week or the week before uh, Jack Dewan Antonio Giovinazzi Mick Schumacher Danny Ricardo, and Nick DeFries who uh, we saw a couple of weeks ago filling in for Alex Albon at uh, Williams and then you have uh, going over to Alpha Tauri so Nick DeFries is the, uh, the the favorite to go there if uh, Gasly leaves kind of sounds like uh, he's uh, sounds like he's uh, 
probably going to uh, Red Bull, who are the, the 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 ones that ultimately kind of uh, determine the whole thing, said that uh, you know they're 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 basically open to him leaving, but you know they're going to have to give somebody's going to have to give them a golden handshake in the form of uh, a buyout uh, to pay out uh, his contract or whatever it is. Uh, so Gasly leaves; he could end up at uh, Alpha Tauri. Then you have Haas. You have Antonio Giovinazzi, the favorite to, to go there, who's been in and out of uh, Formula One a couple of different times over the past couple of years. And uh, the outsiders there, Nico Hulkenberg, Mick Schumacher, and uh, Danny Ricardo. I mean, Mick Schumacher obviously has a history with Haas. He's been there for the past uh, two seasons. Ricardo, man, you know, I, I struggle with that one. You know, I, I can see why he's been thrown into the outsiders uh, discussion. I mean, if I'm I'm Danny Ricardo, I mean, <laughs> I don't know if I want to take that step and, you know, take a drive with, with Haas for, for, for next year. And then finally, you have uh, Williams, uh, Nick DeFries, uh, again, the favorite to, to, to go there. I mean, he's the favorite to, for two of these uh, three seats. Uh, some of the outsiders, again, Logan Sargent, uh, Mick Schumacher, and Antonio Giovinazzi. Giovinazzi, man, I, I kind of struggle with this one. I mean, yeah, he's kind of a decent driver, but I feel like he's already had a couple of shots at uh, at Formula One. And, you know, I mean, he's he's a decent driver, but is he you know, that good that people are really banging on his door to bring him back for another full-time race seat. I, I think, I know that these are further down mid to back of the pack kind of teams, but still, you know, I, I just find, you know, his name being thrown out there as, uh, you know, the favorite for a couple of these empty seats. I find it a, a bit, uh, I wouldn't say a stretch, but I find it uh, just, you know, one of those kind of things that kind of scratch my head out. Agreed. I do have to call you out though. You missed a very important story before we jumped into the absolute chaos and pandemonium, and you alluded to it by alluding to the fact that Williams have an open seat, and they do officially have an open seat because as of earlier this week, Canadian Williams driver Nicholas Latifi announced that he will not be returning to Williams for 2023. Says Yost Capito, and I quote, I would like to say an enormous thank you to Nicholas for his three years of hard work with Williams. He is a great team player who has a great attitude towards his colleagues and work and is well-liked and respected throughout our business. Our time together is now coming to an end, but I know he will put full effort in to maximize what we can do together for the remainder of the season. We wish him, sorry, we wish him all the very best of luck for his future, both in and out of the cockpit. We wish him, sorry, I just misquoted that. We wish him all the very best of luck for the future, both in and out of the cockpit. And then Latifi says, my initial F1 debut was postponed due to the pandemic, but we eventually got going in Austria. And although we have not achieved the results together, we hoped we would. It's still been a fantastic journey. Getting those points, those first points in Hungary last year was a moment I'll never forget. And I will move on to the next chapter of my career with special memories of my time with this dedicated team. I know none of us will stop putting in every effort until the end mm-hmm. of the season so some very nice very kind words from Yas capito of course the ceo and team principal of the williams formula one team um, and some nice kind reflective comments from nicholas latifi who will now exit formula one leaving just one sole canadian driver on the grid 
Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that we uh, ever really question Nikki's uh, determination or professionalism, both in or out of the uh, of the car. But I mean, man, you look at Nikki's uh, stats for this year. His best finish came at uh, the the British Grand Prix, and that was a twelfth. He's got three DNFs, but I mean, out of the last four races, a P three P eighteens, and at Monza a couple of weeks ago, he finished in fifteenth. And I mean, his his uh, that's compared to Nick DeFries, who never raced in that car before. He came home and uh, bagged a couple of points for that P9 at Monza. So, you know, like I say, don't question his heart or his professionalism, but sadly just not getting it done with the results on, on the track. And, you know, it's just not really a good look when you get outperformed by by the reserve driver who's, uh, you know, doesn't have, you know, a, a fraction of the time behind the steering wheel of that car as you do. So sad to get, see him go, but it certainly sets up for, for an interesting uh, dis- discussion as to who might uh, might replace I'm him. very curious and I don't know that many of our listeners will be particularly interested but I'm I'm very curious to see where he goes next in his career. I think oftentimes when an yeah. F1 driver exits the sport, um, they may exit Formula 1, but they certainly don't leave the sport of motor racing. They they end up in Formula E or they end up in DTM or supercars or any of the countless other championships across the world. I'll be very curious to see where, where Nikki goes, because I think for a mm-hmm. lot of these younger drivers, they scrape and they claw and they fight desperately for funding to get through F3 and F2 and then potentially into F1. And, you know, obviously Nikki worked equally as hard as any of those drivers, but he was also blessed with some funding sure. that, that helped to accelerate his his journey into Formula One. I'm I'm very curious to see if he continues on his journey in motorsports and pursues a different discipline and, and maybe goes to Le Mans or maybe goes to Super Formula or any of these other championships. I'll be very curious or whether he sees this as an opportunity to get into the broadcast booth because he's very polite, very charismatic, mm-hmm. very articulate. He could be really great in media or perhaps he goes into business. But I'll simply repeat what uh, Yas Capito said because I very much agree with this, but we wish him all the and I quote: "We wish him all the very best of luck for his future, both in and out of the cockpit." And I absolutely, certainly um, reiterate that sentiment. Yeah, hundred percent. So that now begs the question: Who replaces him? And uh, I, I think we had this uh, conversation last week. And you know, like I say, I, I think it's kind of funny that uh, that Giovinazzi gets uh, thrown out there a couple oh, of times. Is, is this just infuriates you know, me? Is 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 this just uh, you know people speculating, just kind of throwing out uh, familiar names? Maybe he lands one of these seats. Uh, maybe not. I mean, I mean Pierre Gasly going to Alpine. You know, just it makes so many so much sense, and it ticks so many boxes. And I think we talked about it at length either last week or the week before. But I, I can see that deal happening, and it sounds like what uh, you know what really needs to happen is that they need to go in and basically buy out Gasly's contract at AlphaTauri. You know, right. Uh, Red Bull, uh, a nice big fat check, and then they can go and do that. And I, I think, you know, and we've talked about this not for just weeks, but months and probably even longer than that, that Gasly, I think, needs to be one of these guys that needs to get out of that uh, that that Red Bull system. Ricardo obviously felt he was one of those guys, and arguably it hasn't worked out for him because, I mean, he's very much now the odd man looking out in, in, in Formula One. I mean, 
if you go from Red Bull to Renault to McLaren, and then you, all of a sudden you're kind of being linked to having potentially like an outsider first seat at Haas, I mean, boy, that says something about how much your your stock has fallen. Although you know Ricardo's name has come up in some different circles, which we'll we'll talk about in a little bit here. But I, I would be as much as I struggled to see you know, kind of reconcile the whole Giovinazzi guy uh, in in a car for next year. The one name that that I have no problem kind of reconciling to see that uh, that that he's linked to a potential drive is Nick DeFries because I mean we've seen what he's done in Formula E we've seen what he's done elsewhere he had a very impressive outing at Monza a couple of weeks ago okay sure that's only one Formula One race but still I mean he did you know to get into your points or get into the points in a car like that in your very first outing is impressive it turned a lot of heads it got a lot of people talking and rightly so your thoughts now no i i very much agree i i i think obviously nick devries is going to find his way into formula one next season and you know what even as recently as a month ago, I don't think there was any assurances that he was ever going to get a ride in Formula One. This is obviously a guy who won an F2 championship, couldn't get an F1 seat, went to Formula E. We heard Toto talk about the fact that, look, I can't find him a place to race because we simply don't have an opening and none of the teams that we have a technical partnership or technical relationship with have an opening for him. He got that amazing opportunity with Williams at Monza. And of course, Monza is a track that is basically designed for the current Williams car as much as a track can be designed for a current Williams car and he went out there and he executed and he executed in a way that his teammate on that race weekend absolutely couldn't so in in his performance that weekend he basically assured himself of a contract for 2023 but also simultaneously assured Nicholas Latifi of the fact that he wasn't going to be returning to Formula One simply because the delta between the two of them was so significant. So I think DeVries is going to be in, but I think Williams in their hesitation, actually maybe hesitation isn't the correct word because I think at some point during the season, they were probably fairly confident that Oscar Piastri was going to be riding with them or driving with them for 2023. And that deal fell apart. But mm-hmm. I think in their in their hesitation to announce a different driver for 2023 other than Nicholas Latifi, I think they may have lost out on Nick DeVries because I think two months ago, had they gone to Nick and said, hey, look, we'll offer you X amount of dollars for a one-year deal or a two-year deal, I think he's probably going to take that deal simply because there isn't another one on the table. But I think their hesitation has probably cost them Nick DeVries because I think Nick is going to probably end up now with Alpha Tauri, which is a improvement or an improved opportunity by a magnitude of 10 versus the current Williams chassis in that current Williams team. And of course, they're going to get better the longer that Yas Capito was there. But ultimately, I think they had a chance, an opportunity to get Nick, and they kind of missed the boat on that one. So I don't know where they're going to mm-hmm. go. But I agree. I don't. I get a little bit upset when we see so many of these drivers being recycled through Formula One. I like Nico Hulkenberg. I don't think he needs to have a full-time F1 ride. I like Antonio Giovinazzi. (laughs) I don't think he needs to have a full-time F1 ride. There's just so much exceptional talent out there that maybe isn't in the Formula 2, Formula 3, or Formula E channel, but there's so much global talent that I don't know why we need to keep going back and recycling through these people. Like, What is the harm of giving a ride to an indie champion, somebody that's accumulated enough FIA super license points that... 
I, I, I would say and I would argue that the Indy Championship is hugely more complex and difficult than Formula 2 or Formula E. And I think the media obligations are harder. And I think the tracks are more difficult. And I think they're di- harder cars to drive. Like, I get frustrated when we see people continually recycled through Formula 1 when there's so much talent available globally and there's just this hesitation. So, yeah, who yeah. Williams is going to end up with now, I'm not sure, but I don't think it's going to be Nick DeVries. But having said all of that, I'm also not super confident and I'm not super convinced that Nick DeVries is going to be a slam dunk superstar in Formula One as well. And we could be sitting here two years from now talking about whether he's going to get re-upped with Alpha Tauri or whether his time in Formula One is over as well. Because I'm not convinced. That's he a, is 27. That's a fair point. He is 27. Yeah, that's funny. I, I can have this uh, perception it firmly, in, you know, implanted in my mind that uh, Nick DeFries is much, much uh, younger than that. But you know, maybe I just haven't been paying attention the last couple of years. But one team that's actually been, you know, smart enough to extricate themselves from this whole silly season discussion is uh, Alfa Romeo, and uh, they've decided to uh, re-up uh, Joe Guan Yu, the young uh, Chinese driver, again for next uh, season. Uh, team principal uh, Frederick Vasseur said that uh, that. Uh, uh, Joe's uh, form this year has been uh, what he called a surprise. And I, I, I wouldn't say that this was a no-brainer. I mean, of course, you always have to take a look around to see who are the best uh, drivers available. But I think that uh, Joe Guan Yu has had a very, very good rookie season in you know, a, a so-so team. I mean, they're sort of a middle-of-the-pack kind of team, but he's got a very, very good teammate in Valtteri Bottas, which I'm sure has been you know, a great learning experience for, for a young driver like that. So I, I think that this one kind of really sorted itself out. I mean, I think that if they looked around, it's just like, hey, well, we've, you know, sure, we've got uh, a young guy in our car, but uh, he's almost got a season of Formula One under his belt. He's been, been, been doing pretty good. So let's give him a shot to uh, build on this season and see where he goes from there. Can I just say that he is quickly becoming one of my favorite drivers in Formula One? And sometimes I put stock in the wrong things that I'm not necessarily looking yeah. at the driver's racecraft or his ability to dissect data and telemetry that is being fed to him by his team or shared by his teammate. Yep. But I just genuinely like him. And I think he's really interesting. And he and I have a lot of common interests. And I love I love his creativity when it comes to his clothing. And I love his... And, all of our listeners now are just like cringing, by the way, like what the hell is Hamilton talking about? But I just, I feel like if I knew him in real life and he lived here in Vancouver, that we would probably be friends and we would probably, we would probably go for bubble tea and we would probably go to the F1 simulator at Brentwood town center. Like, I feel like he and I would be friends. So I really like him. I'm cheering for him. And I desperately want to see a Grand Prix back in China next year because I really want to see what that crowd would look like if they had a Chinese driver on the grid. And there's no guarantee we'll be back in China next year. It's on the calendar. That race may not happen. I hope it does because I really want to see what type of support and what level of support a country of a billion people can give this, this talented young Chinese driver. Yeah, it would be interesting, but I, I just like to add that I'm more than willing to be uh, Joe Guan Yu's proxy friend for you. So, I mean, I like bubble tea. I like going to the F1 simulator Brentwood. So, you know, I, I'm just saying. Okay, so just you don't have to answer no, now. No, no. You don't have to, to be answer fair, now. And I'm gonna put I'm gonna put our business in the streets. The last time I tried to arrange something with you, your availability was not in the days or weeks, but it's like I can probably fit you in in Q2 of 2024. So I stopped. I stopped the, the, trying to this, arrange things with you. 
<laughs> that, that's a fair that's that's a good comeback i'm just gonna leave it there because i have a feeling feeling if i try to like dig myself out of this hole i'm just gonna dig the myself closest, even deeper so the closest take the closest thing that you and i have ever had to a social <laughs> gathering is when we ran into each other at the self-checkout line at uh, at walmart that's as close as we've ever come to a social <laughs> gathering and at first i did we were yeah, still wearing masks there, there was fist bumps. There was fist bumps. There was, so there, yep. there, you know, there, there was some contact there. Yeah, yeah so yeah. it was funny too because <laughs> I think at that point you and I had only ever met in person. We'd probably done 100 podcasts but only ever met in person one time and we were still wearing masks at the time and you were speaking to me. I'm like, I know it's a weird this guy, and it took me a couple of minutes to clue in because I'm not used to seeing you with it, or wasn't used to seeing you with a mask. So yeah, again, putting far too much business. Yeah, in the wasn't streets. that sort of like a, like a weird kind of like contradiction to that like point in time? Is we were used to like seeing each other like maskless at a time where everywhere you went, everybody was like wearing a mask. You're always like, I wonder what this person looks yeah. like when they don't have yeah. a mask on. Anyways, that's another discussion for for another time. Okay, we'll take uh, one quick timeout. Come back. Uh, still got a couple news stories to discuss. We got to talk about the Singapore Grand Prix which is going to kick off this weekend um you know just well we're a day ahead of our usual uh recording schedule but uh fp1 coming up in the day after tomorrow so we'll get to all of that in just a moment and uh we'll be back to discuss this and more so don't go away Okay, welcome back. And the next story to check out, this one you guys should really hop online, go onto Twitter, Instagram, go to your favorite F1 news site or wherever, because uh, McLaren is going to be running a bit of a different delivery in the next uh, two races. And it's uh, what's called future mode, and it looks pretty, pretty sharp. Uh, Mark, you want to tell us a little bit more about this one? Not really. I wasn't expecting to, but I will. <laughs> so <laughs> so I think go. the easiest way to describe this, and I'm a huge fan of that whole sci-fi concept of cyberpunk. Think about a Formula One livery in a cyberpunk movie like Hackers or Johnny Mnemonic. It's super cool. There's some neon. Yep. And one of the things that people astutely called out was that this livery does a really good job of helping illustrate how, how much development McLaren have put into their side pod design over the course of the season because I think a lot of the mock-ups and a lot of the photos that we see in the McLaren car are earlier um, kind of not production photos but earlier photo shoot shots that are distributed to the media and this is kind of the first time that we're getting a fresh batch of photos out of the McLaren media office so not only is the livery really cool it's kind of got this cool techno punk cyberpunk kind of look and feel to it with a lot of neon uh, yep. but it also helps to really illustrate the development that they've done through the car in terms of its aerodynamic formula so so pretty cool and I'm definitely excited to see it and I believe it's going to be run for two Grand Prix so it's going to be run this weekend in Singapore should look really cool under the lights because of course it's the, a night race um, and then we're going to see it at the Japanese Grand Prix as well and both of this is part of a tie-up with team sponsor OKX and if you ask me what OKX is I do not know but I will google it in the background so I'm ready <laughs> next time all right. Well, one thing we don't need to Google is the fact that Alex Albon will be back in the car this weekend after that shocking incident he had with the complications after his appendicitis surgery a couple of weeks ago. Glad to hear that uh, that he's uh, feeling better. He's doing better. And not only that, he's healthy enough to actually get back in the car and go uh, racing this weekend after he had respiratory failure a couple of weeks ago after the Italian Grand Prix. I mean, that, that was just a, a shocking thing because I remember... Well, I mean, we all knew that uh, that he wasn't going to race and Nick DeFries was filling in for him. But when I got up on Monday morning 
and I was sitting there doom scrolling first thing in the morning, like everybody does. That when I saw that, my my eyes literally popped out of my head. That uh, Alex Albon had suffered a respiratory failure. What was it? Did he have? Was it? A, it was a bad reaction to anesthetic yeah, or something yeah, like that after yeah. his operation for appendicitis. It was a really really rare and freak thing that uh, that happened to him. And you know, thank goodness that uh, that he was okay. Because I mean, by the time that I read it, it's just like yeah, he's already been you know he's going to be home pretty quick and he's already uh, improved quite a bit but that was just a, a shocking uh, bit of news okay now this is going to be a, another one that's going to be a kind of fun to speculate uh, about and this is an article that uh, comes from the courtesy of the race.com and this is uh you know discussing whether or not a reserve driver role would be basically uh you know a win or lose a situation for Danny Ricardo should that actually come to pass so i i don't know about this one mark i i don't know i've i've sort of thought about this one <laughs> and you know just where you know the the arc of ricardo's career has gone since he parted ways with red bull at the end of the 2018 season it's like I was saying before their break, just the, the the fact that you go from Red Bull to Renault to McLaren, and now all of a sudden the only team that you're being linked to for like a race seat is Haas. It's just kind of like, whoa, <laughs> that's kind of scraping the, the, the bottom of the barrel. But the whole reserve driver role at Mercedes is interesting. I don't think you'd want to turn that opportunity down, perhaps. But again, it just... Um, it seems like an odd discussion to be having involving a guy like Danny Ricardo, but I mean, he's really fallen off a lot from from where he was a couple of years ago. I mean, where, where he was, he really peaked when he was at uh, at Red Bull, and of course, Renault wasn't at the same level, and McLaren. Obviously, that's been a bit of a struggle since he's been there. But I mean, to be going talking about reserve driver roles, even with Mercedes, and then race seats with Haas, it's just. You know, even two months ago, I didn't think we would be sitting here having this sort of conversation about Daniel Ricciardo. Yeah, Daniel Ricciardo certainly one of the most charismatic, likable, personable people in F1. But it's really hard, Mark. It's really hard now after two years of watching him get absolutely thrashed by his teammate at McLaren to build a business case to keep him in F1. And maybe a team will. I don't think it's going to be Williams. Maybe it's going to be Haas. But if not Haas, he could be forced into... I don't even want to call it a sabbatical because a sabbatical implies that there might be an opportunity or a path for him to return to Formula One in 2024. My fear is that if I'm Daniel Ricciardo, if I can't secure, but also, go on, please. It, if the also sabbatical makes it also seem voluntary. like it's a voluntary, it's a vol- voluntary, yes, yes. exactly, exactly. And, Sorry yeah, to no, jump no, no, in. That makes total sense. Carry on, and please. My fear is if I'm Daniel Ricciardo. If there's an option for me to race next year, I don't really have an option because if I take a sabbatical and it is a voluntary sabbatical, there's no guarantee I'm going to come back in 2024. And if I do, there's no guarantee that seat's going to be any better than what was available for me for 2023. But if there is no seat available to me and there was a test driver, reserve driver type role as the race.com kind of implies that, and they're not implying, by the way, they're not saying or reporting that, hey, there's an option for him to go to Mercedes as a test or a reserve driver. They're just saying that would be a really great fit for him if there wasn't a Formula One seat because he could spend a year, like Esteban Ocon did, surrounded by an absolutely premier organization and have the opportunity to sit in Mm -hmm. for a Mercedes driver or an Aston Martin driver or a Williams driver, or like the article said, ironically, a McLaren driver because they're all Mercedes uh, power unit 
partners, um, that would be a good option for him. But I think that if there's going to be an option for him next year, it's probably going to be Haas. And I just don't know how that extends his career because I just have no confidence in them improving that car. And that team seems to, and I should level set a little bit too, because we were talking during the spaces chat earlier tonight about the fact that it felt like the championship was much tighter through the first third of the calendar. And it felt like the regulations were really working, but now it feels like the pack's really starting to separate, especially at the top end, that those teams at the bottom end are really trailing off. And those teams at the top end, especially Red Bull are really pulling away. And it may reflect negatively on the new regulations. And Marshall had made this great point, which is, which is really astute. It's not that Red Bull's necessarily gotten better. It's just that in a cost cap era where teams only have X amount of money to spend on developing a car, a lot of teams in the championship simply tapped out. They tapped out early on in the championship and said, we're not investing in this car anymore. We're taking our remaining budget and we're driving that into the 2023 car. So it's not that Haas and Alfa Romeo and Alfa Tauri and Williams, it's not that they're not spending money that's at their disposal. It's that they're spending the money on the 2023 car. So they basically froze development of this current car. So it looks worse than it probably is. And when we kick off 2023, it should be a little closer. So I don't know where I was going with all of this, but ultimately to get back to the original (laughs) point, to get back to the original point, if Ricardo has an opportunity to sign with any team, he has to do it because there's no guarantee there's going to be a ride available for him for 2024. And if there is no ride and there was a test driver, reserve driver type role with Mercedes, I think that would be the next best thing to having a full-time seat next season. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But still, I find this very, very strange territory to be in when talking about uh, Danny Ricardo. But I know where you were trying to go with all this. You were actually just trying to get through this as quickly as possible because you've got a couple of uh, stories picked out here for MotoGP Corner, which you neglected literally for months, and now it's become a thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Which is cool. I mean, I'm cool with it. Everybody that's listening is cool with it. So, you know, let's uh, let's do this. Let's do MotoGP Corner. And I know you're... You're not as hot on the IndyCar bandwagon as I am, but the IndyCar, the 2023 NTT IndyCar Series schedule has been posted. It mm-hmm. will be beginning on March 5th at, in St. Petersburg on the streets of St. Petersburg. It'll be broadcast on NBC Peacock. And the championship will conclude on September 10th at Laguna Seca, one of my favorite racetracks in all of North America. Yep. And it's an 18 race championship. But bouncing over to MotoGP corner, Mark Marquez is back, baby. He's back. So after the Japanese Grand Prix, his first MotoGP race where he said, I quote unquote, didn't feel any pain. He performed exceptionally. So of course he was back two weeks ago. He made his big return to MotoGP after his major surgery earlier this year. He returned in Aragon in Spain. Wasn't a great performance, but it's kind of getting a sense of the bike kind of re- rebuilding his confidence. But in the Japanese Grand Prix, he qualified on pole, his first pole position in 1,071 days. It was a wet session. It was an absolutely electric qualifying run. He killed it. Now, he didn't score a podium for the race. He did finish in the top four, which is fantastic. But Mark Marquez is back, baby, and I couldn't be happier. And the other news story from MotoGP World is that we are going to Kazakhstan for 2023. So like F1, mm. the MotoGP calendar. And so in, in MotoGP, there's a Liberty equivalent. It's called Dorna. The sport, the commercial rights owner for the sport is called 
a company called Dorna, but they've been expanding the calendar in MotoGP, just like Formula One has been expanding their calendar globally. And it was announced earlier this week that we are going to a brand new track in Kazakhstan for 2023. And I'm usually excited about new tracks and new races, but I'm not particularly excited about going to Kazakhstan, particularly because of the country's close and very warm relationship with Russia. Also announced, though, earlier this week or in the month of September is it looks like MotoGP is going to go to India. Probably won't be for 2023, but we'll probably have a run of races from 2024 to 2031 in India at the same track that used to previously host a Moto or a Formula One race, which I think was 2011, 12, 13. And then finally, it was also announced that it looks like MotoGP is going to finalize an agreement to start racing in, I don't know where I was going with that. Oh, yes. MotoGP has also uh, finalized an agreement or is in the process of finalizing an agreement to start racing in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. So lots of MotoGP news. Cool. Interesting. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. You know, it was fun. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm not quite done yet because I was just going to say, looking at these um, you know, the, these mock-ups, uh, these uh, pictures of the, the new track in Kazakhstan, I, I, I'm not sure what kind of vibe I'm getting from this. I don't know if it reminds me of Sakir, if it reminds me of Sale in Qatar. I think maybe it reminds me a little bit of the track that the track layout in Qatar. I don't, but uh, I'll have to do some comparing afterwards to see which one it is because it looks kind of familiar. But it looks like a it looks like a very you know well suited track for 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 MotoGP. Anyways, it's that time. Let's talk about the the race coming up this weekend. It is the Singapore Grand Prix. The first time that we're going to be in Singapore since uh, 2019. Obviously washed out the last couple of years because of the the, the, the pandemic. So the last time that we were in, um, I was going to say Qatar, you know, just completely randomly getting <laughs> off track there. But the last time we were in Singapore, more accurately, Charles Leclerc was on pole. His pole time was 136.217. We had a podium of Sebastian Vettel, Charles Leclerc for Ferrari 1-2, and then uh, some guy by the name of Max Verstappen, might have heard of him, finished third that uh, day. And uh, so the, the most wins that we've seen there has been five by uh, Sebastian Vettel. Ferrari, Mercedes are equal on wins there for constructors. They both have four each. It's a fairly long track for a street circuit. It's uh, 5.1 kilometers or just under 3.15 miles. Race length is uh, 308 Point seven kilometers or 191.8 miles, 61 laps. And, you know, with, with a pole time of 136, I mean, it's, it's quite a long lap, especially for a street circuit. I mean, there aren't really too many spots where these uh, drivers can kind of ease off and relax. It's it's fairly technical. It, it's got a couple of faster sections, but it's definitely not as tight and technical like and as short and compact as Monaco, but it's not as wide open and flat out as we see in uh, Azerbaijan and Baku City. But uh, it's it's an interesting race. I mean, w when you look at it, uh, I mean, the fastest lap was set by Kevin Magnuson. His uh, fastest lap uh, is a one forty two point three. So I mean, it is it's it's a pretty long lap. And uh, like I say, I, I've missed this race. I mean, it uh, it takes a fair amount of time to get through this. It's uh, it's a bit of a grind to watch. But uh, under the lights in Singapore, beautiful venue, beautiful track. Really looking forward to it. I mean, there you know, we, you've uh, picked out this nice article from planetf1.com which kind of lists down the or lists out the top 10 moments 
from uh, you know the Singapore Grand Prix that we've uh, seen over the years. Uh, we've seen uh, Lewis's uh, what they call perfect lap uh, that he set uh, taking pole in 2018. Uh, you can check that out on Planet F1 at Planet underscore F1. They've got uh, a video of that on Twitter. Uh, Sebastian Vettel's last win, probably going to be his last win in Formula One. I mean, after this weekend, we've got, what, five races left? So unless something bizarre moves or something happens uh, to uh, for, for Sebastian Vettel, doubt he's going to win another Formula One race. Uh, Fernando Alonso giving uh, Mark Webber a lift on the side of his Ferrari. Heki Kovalainen having a big fire in his uh, Lotus in 2010. But the one that everyone will uh, talk about and remember is uh, Crashgate from way back in 2008 involving Nelson Piquet Jr. And Mark, why don't you walk us through Crashgate? It is one of those benchmark, very controversial moments in Formula One that people that have been following the sport for a while, it just, uh, it's one of those things you just can't one forget, of the, right? One of the absolute most shameful moments in the modern history of F1, I think you and I have talked so much about Spygate, especially because it was so interwoven with the first book club episode that we did with with friend of the show, Bird Pinkerton, a couple of months ago. Uh, Spygate, of course, was kind of that moment of espionage and uh, data sharing and information sharing between McLaren and Ferrari. But in 2008 at the Singapore Grand Prix, Renault F1 effectively requested that driver Nelson, Nelson Piquet Jr. deliberately crash his car in an effort to help aid Fernando Alonso with the win of the race. And I'm going to quote here from Wikipedia because they do a good job of summarizing this, but quote, unquote, in September 2009, Renault F1 admitted to an FIA World Motorsport Council meeting that Piquet had deliberately crashed per instructions from Renault team principal Flavio, Flavio Briatore and chief engineer Pat Simmons in the hope of helping Alonzo win. The Renault team were handed a disqualification from F1, basically a ban, which was suspended for two years pending any further rule or uh, further rule infringements. Briatore was banned from all FIA sanctioned events for life, while Simmons was banned for five years. Briatore and Simmons sued the FIA in French courts on Jan 5th, 2020-10. The Tribunal de Grand Instance overturned the ban, which had been put in place on both men. So an absolutely shameful, shocking moment. And in a way, it stained the early years of the Singapore Grand Prix because the Singapore Grand Prix kind of came together mm-hmm. pretty quickly. It was announced in 2007. Uh, it was a quick relationship between, of course, um, Bernie Eccleston and the race organizers that came together quickly. Of course, there were races there as far back as the 60s, but it was kind of the renewal of the Singapore Grand Prix. Um, it was announced in 2007. It happened in 2008. It was the first night race in F1, and it got a lot of media attention because of that. Of course, next year, we're going to have six night races. Uh, but ultimately, the initial race in the initial years were stained by this. Now, of course, when the crash happened in 2008, it just seemed like a really funny coincidence you know ultimately Alonso won the race and he went up and he celebrated I think Nico finished second that race and I think Lewis may have finished third Uh, but ultimately ultimately it wasn't really until months and a year later where the information started to leak out about what had actually happened and just imagine now in the current moment of F1 if a team asked one of their drivers on the radio covertly told that driver 
you need to crash your car. And if I recall exactly, it looked like coming out of a corner, he oversteered and lost the back end and the car slammed into a wall. But it's just absurd to think that somebody would ask a driver to risk their personal well-being, not to mention the cost of a Formula One car to aid their other driver with a potential win. And of course, in 2008, it's not like Renault was a particularly competitive team and they weren't chasing a championship, but it was just a shocking moment in a series of shocking moments in f1 over the back part of that decade and as a former uh, uh, pardon me former sports writer for the times newspaper simon barnes wrote quote as a single act a single deliberate act of breaking the laws of sport this probably counts as the worst case of cheating in sporting history end quote and if that's the case, then Shoeless Joe Jackson and the other members of the 1919 White Sox are saying it's about time people stop talking about us. But, you know, joking aside, I mean, that was pretty shocking that uh, that they concocted this this malarkey to, to, to pull this, why, uh, you know, to, it's to why do this. earlier this you know? year when there was there was reports that Bria Tori might be coming back to F1. It's why you and I got so worked yep. up because... There can there can oh, be no totally, world right? in which he can re-enter Formula One in any capacity. Like he cannot be associated with Formula One. Like what he did and the instructions that he provided a driver is absolutely obscene and unforgivable. And he can never come back to F1 in any capacity whatsoever. Yeah, 100%. I mean, to, to me, after that was uh, exposed, I mean, he had no more credibility or no more place in, in Formula One. I mean, if you get caught cheating like that, I mean, you're you're done. You know, please don't come back. Uh, looking ahead to the, the race itself, uh, you found a pretty cool uh, graphic here from at F1 Data Geek. And this is the uh, the points scored by team in the history of the race, well, since uh, 2008. So uh, since all of those races have been run over the past, uh, well, 15 years or so, uh, Red Bull have scored almost a quarter of the available points at uh, 293, followed by Mercedes with 244, Ferrari 235. So that's 24.2% uh, percent respectively for Red Bull, 20.1% for Ferrari, or sorry, Mercedes, and 19.4% for Ferrari. And then from there, it's kind of interesting. Uh, McLaren, surprisingly, fourth at most points. That's uh, they've scored 140 points there. Alpine slash Renault 91, Williams 57, Aston Martin, I guess, slash Racing Point 56, Alpha Tauri slash Toro Rosso 44, 30 points for Toyota. So, I mean, they still factor in there somewhere. 12 for BMW, 8 for Alpha Romeo, and 2 for Haas, which represents a very wimpy. 0.2% of the total points available since 2008 on the streets of uh, Singapore. So this weekend at the race, Pirelli are bringing the softest tires, compounds in their range to the race, the C3 hard, C4 mediums, and the C5 softs. Uh, we've kind of been over some of the stats in terms of length and race distance. But again, I mean, do we want to go and predict somebody else than a Red Bull winning this race? It's just, I, I know it's been kind of predictable and it's it's a little bit kind of weak for us not to pick anyone else. But I mean, since the Austrian Grand Prix back at the beginning of July, that's half a dozen races. Max has won five out of six. He finished second in Austria, his worst 
finished to date was at the the British Grand Prix, and that was seventh, and that's when he had that uh, damaged floor. I mean, other than that, I mean, this guy hasn't finished uh, worse than third. I mean, of course, if you want to talk about the the DNF uh, way back at uh, round one in this, uh, sorry, and in, uh, in Bahrain, that's uh, here way back in the middle of March. Max was still qualified at uh, classified in nineteenth, but. <laughs> Well, I, I I just can't bet against or even advise against uh, you know not picking Max, especially after you know his recent run of form. I mean, he he's just in form. The car's been it's been on the rails. I mean, the the it's just the whole package has been there for car, engine, driver, tires, and I'm just not willing to to, to go away from that uh, this weekend. I'd I'd love to see somebody else do something. I just. Until proven otherwise, I just uh, don't see anybody knocking Max off right now. But again, this is a street circuit. Anything can and often does happen on these uh, these types of tracks. So I uh, sit back and hope to be proven wrong come Sunday afternoon or evening. I guess Saturday evening here Absolutely. on the West Coast. And I very much agree with you that if I was a betting man and I was going to put money on anybody at this point, it would be absolutely Max Verstappen and and Red Bull. There's no reason not to, but you make a great point that this is a very, very tight, very technical and very physically demanding track for drivers and mistakes happen. And it can only take, you know what, that back end breaking out or slipping out on you when you hit the wall and you break a suspension and the safety car comes out. And we've obviously seen Max in the past as well, make mistakes on street courses and anything is possible. And you mentioned last week when you were going through sure. one of those really cool visuals, which maybe isn't so great on the podcast, but you were kind of describing the fact that <laughs> this is a race that has seen a safety car in every iteration. And we should absolutely expect to see a safety car here. So it could be one of those races where Max potentially qualifies on pole, or maybe he doesn't, but he takes an early lead and he starts building on that lead lap over lap over lap. But if there's a safety car, that field could potentially get bunched up again. We could have a safety car restart. We could have a red flag. A lot of things could happen. So if you haven't seen a Singapore Grand Prix before, which is probably a big chunk of our audience because we haven't been there since 2019, I totally advise you to Mm -hmm. check in. It's a really cool experience. The backdrop is experience. But like you said, it's a grind sometimes to watch, uh, but it can also be a bit of a grind to drive for the drivers as well. And because of that, um, there's often the possibility of a driver making a mistake at some point somewhere in in the field. So I'm excited for this race. I want to see how it plays out. There's an outside possibility that Max could win the driver's title this race weekend. I think it's probably more likely that he's going to do it in Japan and if not in Japan, then absolutely with all certainty, he's going to win it in Austin. But of course, a lot of reasons to tune in. And regardless of whether you're a Max fan or not, if you're committed to the championship, I think it's just... It's a you're a good sport if you tune in to see somebody win a championship because you don't win championships necessarily by by accident. A lot of work and energy and talent goes into winning a championship. So yeah, I'm excited for this race weekend. I just know it's going to be a drive for these grind a drive a grind for these for these drivers, and hopefully <laughs> it's not a grind for us to watch at home. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mean, just as I was uh, thinking about what you were talking here, when it comes to uh, Charles Leclerc, I mean, obviously, he still has a mathematical shout of winning this world championship. I mean, in, in reality, it's just, it's just not going to happen. And I mean, all these guys are pros. So, I mean, they're always going to go out there and, and drive their, their their hardest. But what is Charles's motivation at this point in the season? Is this just to try and maybe change the narrative a, a little bit? Because, I mean, 
He's obviously had some challenges. He retired in France. He had a P6 in Hungary, a P6 in Belgium, but in uh, Holland and then in Italy, he had uh, two podium finishes, a third and a second, uh, respectively. So what is he aiming for now? Is it to try and change the narrative a a little bit that, or or are we already there, that uh, he should have been challenging Max a lot closer and running a lot, uh, you know, running this championship further down to you know to to the wire than it was i mean it's it's basically been max's wrapped up uh, a long long time ago so i i just kind of wonder i mean what is his motivation now i mean obviously you're looking towards wiping the slate clean and starting over next year but you know you want to finish with some positive feeling from from this year so maybe that's what it is is that uh, he just wants to finish on the on the on the strongest best uh, note that he can and try and salvage something from a season that really got away from them because i i don't think based on what we saw that it's too much of a stretch from the the beginning of the season before things really went pear-shaped for ferrari that uh, they, they should have really been more of a contender in these uh, championships, both uh, for for the drivers' uh, championship and for for the constructors as well. So, who Sorry, knows? What does pear shaped mean? <laughs> it's a try to. I, I by the it's it's gone okay, sideways. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, again, I learned gone so sideways. much. I learned so much of just by doing this podcast with you. Yeah, so now I'm going to we'll probably get another message that uh, pear shape means something different because you know inadvertently I picked up on another cricket term that <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't know about, but uh, you know that that was uh, kind of funny. I, I haven't used uh, that that uh, duck saying again because I, I'm still not incl- entirely clear on how which what what is the proper context <laughs> to use it in. But uh, I I don't know, Hammy, you got anything else uh, to add for this one? You know, like I say, I mean, unless something happens, I don't really. I'm not willing to walk away from 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 my prediction. I mean, the podium, I guess, is kind of up for 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 grabs, but who knows? You know, is Mercedes a bit of a dark horse, or is it? Does it really come down to attrition? Because you know, it's going to be hot. It's going to be human. It's going to be very demanding on both car and driver. And like you say, that we've seen a safety car here every single time we've raced here since 2008. So lots can and probably I wanted to quickly read out a DM that I got from or we got from one of our listeners today Jamie Loy from Australia hi Mark and Mark currently at the airport waiting for my flight to Singapore very excited for my first GP jealous spent the drive down to Melbourne catching up on the last couple of pod episodes just wanted to say thank you for all the great work that you guys do love that I can tune in and find out what's happening in the F1 world I found lately I'm not watching as many races live due to the ridiculous times here in Australia but your show definitely keeps the interest alive hoping sorry um what is cool. sorry i'm just losing it here i found lately i'm not watching as many races of the races live due to the ridiculous times in australia but your show definitely keeps the interest alive hoping for a good competitive race in singapore also break your duck comes from cricket if you get out for zero runs it's called a duck so once you've scored you've broken your duck so once again jamie thank you so much i hope you have a fantastic time at the singapore grand prix uh, you've got both of us quite jealous yeah, absolutely. Hey, did you know that uh, last week I checked out the AFL Grand Final? It was on TSN, and one of my colleagues at work is from Perth, Australia. So you know, he texted me. He's like, "Hey, if you're w- looking for something cool to watch this evening, go check out the uh, the AFL Final." I don't really know a lot about uh, Aussie uh, rules, but uh, I love the spectacle of any big event uh, like that. So uh, I sat down, watched it, and the one thing that just blows me away about Australian rules football is just the size of the fields. And uh, yeah. you know, we were talking about it at work. Yep. 
that uh, some of these players, like over the course of an entire match, they run like 14, 15, 16 kilometers. I mean, you look at these guys, it is a hard, hard physical sport. And, you know, you, you got to be tough to play it, but you also have to be extremely fit. And, you know, I, I, I haven't watched a lot of Aussie rules football in my lifetime, but I, I've, I've watched uh, a little bit and I, I'm just constantly impressed by the, you know, the, the, the standard, the, the quality, the, the, the level that you have to be just as an athlete to, to play this sport at any, you know, competitive level is it's just something else. How do we else. get onto something Australian else. rules football, my friend? I did. I did want to actually segue to the NBA. <laughs> the NBA. So, just this comment from Jamie Lloyd because I, I this comment actually resonated for me. So he said this. Um, I found lately I'm not watching as many of the races live due to the ridiculous times in Australia. But your show definitely keeps the interest alive. Hoping for a good competitive race in Singapore. I actually do the same thing with the NBA. So I am a huge NBA fan. But over oh, really? the years, I found myself watching less and less games, but consuming more and more NBA podcasts. So a lot of the NBA content that I absorb now yep. is through podcasts, not even watching the races so i think for a lot of people uh we are their outlet that not everyone can be on planetf1.com and autosport.com and the race.com every day absorbing the news i think a lot of people come to us because hey you know what rather than like throughout the course of the week jumping on social media and jumping on these news sites i know i can tune in once a week and mark and mark are going to summarize all the stories for me so i don't have to and if i miss a race that's not such a bad thing because i know on sunday night monday morning mark mark and tim are going to get together and they're going to rehash that race and they're going to touch on all the main Mm storylines that maybe i would have missed that race weekend so again it's okay if you don't watch every single race i consider myself a diehard nba fan i don't watch every single Raptors game, for instance. Yeah, you know, just to sort of close this one out. Did you see that story this week? Kyrie was saying that uh, he uh, reckons he uh, not getting vaxxed cost him something like a hundred million dollars. And I'm just like, I have holy some strong sp- opinions <laughs> that, that on was- Kyrie Irving. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that. That was like in, in all the the different things I've been consuming this week. That story about Kyrie really uh, jumped out at me because a hundred million dollars is uh, it's yeah. it's a lot of money, even for you and me. Surprisingly, it's about but, what we spent on <laughs> anyways, our studio, on that though, note. right? Like that was about maybe a little Probably. less, like ninety seven, ninety eight million dollars <laughs> we spent on the studios. Yeah, yeah, the uh, Scootery F1 Worldwide Headquarters, which is my basement and your basement, connected by the wonders of the internet. <laughs> and on that note, guys, thank you very much uh, for checking out the show this week. Thank you for, for the DMs. Thank you for the emails. Thank you for all you guys, Rolando, Rocky, Reiko, the Flagstaff, Daniel, everybody that was on the live stream in the chat. Love it. Uh, if I missed anybody, my apologies, but uh, love to see you guys that can join us when we do this live. And of course, all of you that listen to us uh, on demand and uh, download the podcast. And if you want to do anything to support us, uh, all we ask is you spend a couple moments of your time. doesn't cost any money. Go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download, enjoy all podcasts, and leave us a, a nice rating and review. And that uh, really helps us out a lot more than you realize. 
So on, on that note, and on behalf of uh, Mr. Mark Hamilton, thank you for hanging out. Have a great night. Have a great rest of the week. Enjoy Singapore Grand Prix. We'll be back with Tim Haraney on Sunday sometime, depending on the bizarre time difference to try and sort this out, uh, not only across the country here, but also taking in the massive time difference between North America and uh, the Far East and uh, Singapore. We'll, we'll make it work somehow. We'll, we'll do it. And uh, so look forward to drop on uh, Sunday night into your feeds. And until then, have a great, uh, have a great Formula One weekend and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye for now.